You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Well, let's uh, start settling in and get started. Good to be with you here this morning. Um, apologize for anything off color I said last week in my stupor, but uh, thanks for putting up with that. A couple things as we sort of get settled in, you want to find your way to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, I was uh, in my study and I remember I, I came across this book again and you can sometimes go through my study and pull books off the shelves and see where I spend a little bit of time in them. And two things, this is an old, old book. I think I've recommended it to you probably three or four times. So it just tells you it always stays in the front of my mind. It's called Servant Leadership, A Journey into the Nature of Legitimate Power and Greatness by Robert Greenleaf. Um, it's a pretty long title. Let me tell you that again. Servant Leadership, just remember Robert Greenleaf, okay? Just Robert Greenleaf. There's a lot of books called Servant Leadership. Uh, this is not, uh, I, would, I would not say this guy's a follower of Jesus, okay? Now that's a h- kind of harsh statement, um, but he, he kind of goes through pains to kind of make sure that you know he's not at least an evangelical. But if you get this book, I want to tell you a couple things about it. Number one, it's a hard read. I don't mean he's um, some kind of scholar. I just mean it. It's you got to read it a couple of times. So don't think you're going to buy this and whip through it while you're sitting on the beach, okay? And then uh, number two, if you serve on a board of directors somewhere, or you have a board of directors in your business, um, you need to buy this book. Just bottom line, you need to buy it. There's a chapter in it called Trustees as Servants. And um, I think you'll be surprised. As a matter of fact, as you read this book, you'll be surprised that it was written back in the 70s. As you read it, you'll begin to think, this guy just wrote this last year because he starts talking about different things related to culture. And so I hope you will. He even has a chapter in here called Servant Leadership in Churches. And I would recommend it to all pastors as well. Uh, Anyways, recommend this book. Another thing that I do with books, I just want to show you this in case uh, you're trying to figure out more ways to read better. Um, I create my own index in books as I, books I read. So you can't see this. It just looks like whatever. But what I do is when I come across things that I'm highlighting or I make notes on, uh, if it's something that I think someday I may want to go back to, I write the page number and then a little, a little sentence about what's on that page in the flyleaf. So then when I say to someone, hey, there's a quote, I remember Robert Greenleaf saying, I don't have to grab the book and go, where is it, where is it, where is it? I can go right here and go, oh, awesome definition of love, page 52. And then I can go to page 52. So just some ideas when you're reading and uh, being a student of reading and learning to read, so to speak. And then also... I shared with you guys several weeks ago that I'd be more than willing to spend some time going through this, uh, uh, well, I guess about 15 years ago, a friend of mine asked me to work with him on some transitions he was trying to make in his life, whether it was a good time to transition out of one career into another and different things like that. So I spent a couple of years working on what I called eight tests of transition. And uh, I'm not going to take our time here to do this, but if you'll just keep paying attention, uh, we'll have a morning, we'll advertise where I'll be happy to get together. And if anybody wants to go through this, uh, we can go through this. Next week is our last week. Remember, it's our last week together. And then we'll take a summer break. Then we'll be back next year, uh, Lord willing, as they often say. So, trust you have found Hebrews chapter 12. Let's pray and then let's dive into this uh, 
amazing. I love this part of Hebrews. I love it all. Don't go, well, he doesn't love the rest of it. I love it all. I just uh, love the encouragement here. Father, thanks again for a great day. Um, A great day because you have allowed us to breathe again. You have called us awake, so to speak, which means you're not finished on this side of what we would call glory. There's something you're working on. There's something you're doing very specifically in my life, not vaguely, but very specifically, and in the life of every man in this room. That is biblically true, whether we accept it or not. So I thank you for that. I thank you that there is no neutral moment and that you are willing and working for your good pleasure, for our joy, and for the benefit of others. Teach us by opening our eyes to see wonderful things from your word this morning. Prepare us to run the race well today, and if you allow us to get up tomorrow, to be ready to run again. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to chapter 12, but let's begin in chapter 11, verse 39, and let's read through... um, we're going to go, I'm just going to read the whole thing through chapter 12, verse 11. Then we're going to go back and let me give you a, a heads up. I've used a lot of sports analogy in this lesson. Um, and so if your sports isn't your thing, I apologize, sort of. Um, but that's just the way it is. I, I, I do that these days because of my great relationship with Mike Gakey. And, and a lot of you know Mike. And for years I'd talk about sports and finally Mike goes, I have no clue what you're talking about. And... Um, so, so, and that led to a part of our friendship where he said to me one time, again, just one of the most humble men I've ever known. He said, could you teach me baseball? He said, I don't know baseball. And so we went to a game and I took a scorebook with me and we started working on the game. And what is this? And what is that? And what is this? And what is that? And so just an opportunity to walk with a friend and, uh, and it was funny. And then if I ever needed help in choosing paint colors, I would call Mike. So anyways, <laughs> Hebrews 11... To this day, there is no pictures hanging in my office. There are no pictures hanging in my office. That's the first thing Mike did. Every time he moved into the office, all the pictures were hung. I was like, golly, go play ball. Verse 39, and all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised because or since God had provided something better for, for us. Notice he changed immediately to us. We're part of this big picture. That apart from us, apart from you and I today, gentlemen, the great forefathers of our faith, they should not be made perfect. Let those words sink in and we'll get to them here in just a minute. But David and Samuel and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, Abraham and Moses and Noah are waiting on us to run and finish. That is a non-negotiable, literally heaven watches according to the scriptures to see if you're running. Chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also as well, just like them, lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Elsewhere, the scriptures tell us, interceding for us at all times. Verse three, consider him, pay attention to him, watch him, take to heart him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself 
so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Now, every time I read the word discipline from here on, I'm going to replace it with a definition that I, I think the word discipline is a great English translated word, but there's another word you can translate out of the Greek into the English here that I think carries with it. It's, this, it's, a, it's a strong definition for it. It works. But sometimes our perception of discipline is of being beat with a stick or a belt or a piece of wood. So I want you to see something else that's in this word. It's even stronger than the word discipline, and it's what discipline means. So I'll read it now, and I'll change that word as we go from here on out, and then you'll understand even the analogy, the sports analogy some more. My son, do not regard lightly the training of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord trains the ones he loves. Now, I'm not minimizing at all the factor of discipline, if you're a person who, who likes being disciplined, you're, that's good, but there are many who discipline means hiding from dad. But the, the word that's used here is the word used for training an athlete. It's, I'm not making up something to make you feel better. That is the word that's here. So I, don't want you to, I want you to understand that. So verse six, the Lord trains the ones he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. So here we go, verse seven. It is for training that you have to endure. God is treating you as a son. What son is there whose father does not train him? If you are left without training, in which all have participated, then you're an illegitimate child, you're not a son. Well, besides this, we've had earthly fathers who trained us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? That's a unique way of saying, shall I not be much more subject to my creator? Verse 10. They trained us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he trains us for our good that we may share his holiness, which, in a, and I'll get to it a little bit later, means sharing in my ultimate joy. For the moment, all training, watch the words here, for the moment, all training seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, in the word for, uh, well, let me keep reading, for the moment, all Training seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been, watch this, whipped by it. That's the final word. So let me read that again so you see that because I think all of you know what it is to submit to good training and at the end of training feeling like you have been whipped. There's a part of you that goes, I've grown because of that. So let me read that verse again. For the moment, all training seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, that training will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been whipped by it. So let's go to your notes and um, let's fill in some lines and see it. Here's what I did this morning with this morning's notes. Because chapter 12, verse 1 through 11 is, is an absolute um, injunction for us. It, it, you must do this. So I just took the things I'm going to go through with you this morning, and I just prayed them as my quiet time. I went through each one and just said, God, I want to submit this to you today and pray you'd help me to walk through this today. And here's the first one. Constantly call to mind the privilege, honor, and responsibility of playing in the game and the venue that is bigger than you, but by grace requires you. And I think I made it personal there. It's bigger than me, but requires me. Constantly call to mind the privilege and honor 
and responsibility of playing in the game and in the venue that is bigger than you, but by grace requires you. I mean, I, I could go on and on about this. You could tell stories of places you've visited where you stand somewhere on a field or you get to see something and you go, oh my goodness, this is historical. You can go to Washington, D.C. and visit places. You can stand in places of honor. You can go to the beaches of Normandy and realize what happened there on your behalf. You go to so many places. But the fact of the matter is the apostle, whoever is writing this, is saying to you, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And so there's something you must do and you're a part of something huge. First Corinthians chapter 12 says, you're a part of the body of Christ. And I say this so many times, but I don't think I can say it enough. When the, when the Bible says you're a part of the body of Christ and your life matters to mine, that phrase that we've used around here before that says your life affects mine and mine affects yours, there is no neutral moment. Uh, there's, a, there's such truth to that. And I want to address something because this, was ha- this has been happening in the lives of men uh, very recently. There's a lot of discussion out there about men who are trying to, they go to the halftime of their life and they want to find significance now. They've found success and all that kind of stuff. And some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You're still trying to find a job or whatever it is. The problem with that movement of men who are trying to find significance in the second half of their life is somehow you were never taught that from the time you were a young boy, every moment of your life was significant for something you couldn't see doesn't matter whether you're making millions or you're not making anything. It doesn't matter if you don't get an office with your name on the door or you get an office or the company has your name on the front. It doesn't matter. Well, you need to be teaching your sons and if you, weren't have, if you didn't take the opportunity to teach your sons, pick up the opportunity to teach your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren that when they come to Christ and Jesus Christ completely reorients and changes their nature, that from that moment on, there is never an insignificant moment in their life. From that moment on, your, your young boy or your young girl is leading a life of significance that whether the Lord, for some reason, calls it short or calls it long, there's not one insignificant moment in the life of your children, and there's never been an insignificant moment in your life, and perhaps you need to repent today of living insignificantly with the significant gift you've been given. The fact of the matter is, when you came to Christ, you got put on the field, so to speak. And there's a great cloud of witnesses, you might say, watching you going, when are you gonna start playing? Kind of like some of us watch our teams, our favorite teams, you know, and watch the TV and go, when are you gonna start playing? When are you gonna start, you know, well, you got a free education for this, are you gonna do anything about it? And all the things you might say, The fact of the matter is, you were not saved and then put in the training room. Hopefully, you'll make the bench. Hopefully, you'll make sub-varsity and one day you'll play. The significance of the calling of your life being witnessed by Abraham and Moses and Noah and David and Samson and Samuel began the moment you said, save my soul. And God said, you're in the game. That moment. There's not an insignificant moment. If you're on the field driving around and no one sees you except a prairie chicken, don't hit it, and you just go on down your life, there is not an insignificant moment. Do not let this pass you by because the majority of you listening to my voice this morning are going, I mean, there's a part of you saying, "I, I believe that. But the majority of your nature is saying, that cannot be true about me because I can't see it. 
And the reality is, if you grasp what the scripture is telling you, you will probably never see this side of heaven. I don't even know if you'll see it the other side of heaven. Exactly what it is God's trying to do in your life and through your life for the benefit of others until you're gone from this life. There is a cloud of witnesses according to the biblical testimony. And I have to be careful not to make it look like, you know, a corny scene with all of them, you know, with a, with a hat on that says, Go Patrick. But there, there is a heavenly host asking the question, why aren't you engaging this? Why do you work in such a way as to neglect the king's call on your life? How come the way you work is not creating a symphony for my glory? How come you're not loving her the way Christ loves the church? How come you're not training your children in the call of the Lord Jesus Christ? How come you're wallowing around in your sorrow and in your guilt? How come you're wallowing around in feeling sorry for yourself? Pick it up and train your children and your grandchildren. Listen to the voice of the saints of old saying, you are wasting this gift. Quit waiting to decide whether or not you're significant. That's not an arrogant thing to grasp. That is truth to grasp. That is, you know, when I, when I was uh, with a friend of mine and we were touring a particular place, I'm not going to tell you, and they were talking about how they'll take people here so they understand the history of what they're involved in. I'm going to say it for the third time. You are involved in an intricate, God-centered story that the biblical forefathers of your faith need you to finish. Let me read it again. Let's read it again. Verse 39 and 40. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, when he says, therefore, he's telling you because of that, this is how you've got to live. Gentlemen, you have been put in a game and you've been put in a venue that is so much bigger than you and all by grace, but it requires you. Number two, discipline yourself, discipline yourself to keep clearing your mind in order to compete well. So let me read it again, then I'll take you to the scripture and tell you where this comes from. Discipline yourself to keep clearing your mind in order to compete well. In verse 12, it says this, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Now, here's the, I I hope you don't, when I say this is what it's saying in the Greek, I hate to say that because it always sounds like, aren't you smart? It just, you just got to know the right computer program. So here, Here's what that means, okay? It doesn't mean lay something aside and you're done. It literally means all the time you have to take it, see it, no, oh, that's, that's hindering me, and lay it down again. And then you know what's gonna happen? You know what you have to do again? You're gonna have to see it again. And no, you know what? That gets on me really quick. That gets in my way really quick. And I'm gonna lay it aside. It, if you were to read it in a more literal fashion, fashion, it would say, let us lay aside, and by the way, lay it aside again, lay it aside again, And then once you're done with that one, you may see something else you're going to have to lay aside and put off the sin that entangles you, that stays so close to you. It's it's this idea of being restricted in your ability to compete, and therefore you've got to keep taking these things off. Now, let me read to you a quote, and then maybe uh, I'll talk to something else about this. The longer you compete, or the longer you walk with Jesus, listen carefully, the longer you compete, the smaller the adjustments, but the greater the results. 
The smaller the adjustments, but the greater the results. Let me give you an example. We're getting ready to go to camp. By the way, if you haven't signed up your kids or someone else's, sign them up. So we're getting ready to go to camp, and here's what will happen at camp. It happens every year. And we do everything we can to suck the emotion out of the services. I don't know of any church that tries so hard not to get decisions made as we do. But because... I, I just know how easy it is to manipulate kids by the midweek of the camp to get them to give their lives to missions and everything else. And then the next week after they tell their testimony and say, I'm never going to walk away from Jesus. And then they fall flat on their face. But what happens is many kids will give their lives to Jesus and it'll be a rapid change. And you'll see amazing changes. And they'll go through that early phase of massive transition. But then real growth begins when God starts working on the small things of your character and your life that really make a bigger difference. And he does the same thing in your life. And that's why we stall so many times. You can be working out. You can be a person who works out quite a bit or has a sport you participate in. And when you begin that sport or that workout, you begin to see massive differences pretty quick. But then what happens is the differences become minutely small, the changes become smaller, but the results become even greater. And and when I say that you have to keep clearing your mind, you have to understand the Lord, this is how I prayed this this morning, let me say it this way, I said, God, keep showing me the very, very small matters that must be taken off and pressed into. And then also just having to reset my mind. I was watching a story on ESPN, which is the national news that all Christians should watch. And I was watching a story about Evan Longoria, the third baseman for the Rays. I don't know if anybody saw this. And uh, did you see the story? I'm talking to you, Dean. I was talking to him. And so anyways, they were talking to Evan Longoria. If you don't know who he is, he's an amazing baseball player, not even recruited out of high school. And they were asking him, what is his secret to his approach at the plate? When he, if, okay, I'm talking, let me act like some of you are Mike. His approach at the plate means when he's at bat, okay? And so he's at bat and he says, every time I take a strike, I look at the left field foul pole, breathe, set my mind, get back in the box. And I was like, wow, that's pretty, you guys are really listening. Like, <laughs> wow, that's cool. So maybe we should have him here to speak. So anyways, I, um, I started watching him and he does. If he whiffs at a curveball or whatever it is, he'll step out of the batter's box. He'll look up. You'll see him look up. And then he'll come back in, take a deep breath, step back in. Gentlemen, you will, so to speak, take a whiff at a few curveballs every day. What you can't do is go, I'm not a good Christian. That must mean I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm never going to grow. What you must do is what Evan Longoria does, so to speak. You must look at whatever foul pole you have to, and I would tell you this, the foul pole you look at is the cross that paid the price for your imperfection. You take a deep breath, you back up, you step back in the box, and you say it's time to keep playing. That's what you have to do. You have to clear your mind. Gentlemen, you will screw this thing up. You will make mistakes. You will say things you wish you hadn't said. You will do things you wish you hadn't done. This will last the entire life that you live that God allows you to breathe. But you do not have the right, nor do you get the permission to go sit on the bench. You don't. You have to step back. You have to take a breath. Look at the foul pole. I can do this. God's called me to do this. He's equipped me to do this. He's given me gifts. He's given me talents. And you know what? He's training me. I'm shedding this and I'm back in the box. Even the things that you say, I thought I'd never do that again. I thought I was over that. It's time to keep growing. Number three, forget the play before and compete again. Forget the play before and compete again. Now, the reason I've said it that way is because that's the way he says it in um, verse one. He says, and let us 
Run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's how that literally, literally reads. Let us start running again right now. That's how that reads. So what, what that means is, all of a sudden you run up against something, and it causes you to catch, and you go, oh, well, I can't believe I did that. So you have to set it aside. You have to stare at the foul pole, take a deep breath, forget the play, and then you, literally it's not saying start trotting or ease back in. You don't get to. You have to engage the battle and run the race immediately. You have to start competing immediately. So listen, guys, this is not something you're allowed to just take a couple of weeks to get your bearings back, okay? You have to engage the fight right now again, right now again, right now again. Start running, start running, start running. Forget the play before and compete again. The the word for endure there means just to stay with it. So I just want to point that out to you. And I wrote in my notes, everything that is real about endurance is real in the reference here. If you've ever competed in any kind of endurance sport, it's the same analogy right here. There are times when it's going to hurt as much to not run as it hurts to run. There are going to be times you're going to find when you're competing. I remember when I was training for a marathon, the worst mileage of the entire time was always the first three miles. Always, for me. Always has been. Still is. If I go out and run and I got to do like a 10-mile run or something, the first three miles, I just soon die. I just soon quit. I don't know why it is, but that's the same thing that happens. What we do in our lives as followers of Jesus is some of you guys are so afraid of failing again that you won't start the three miles again. And a great cloud of witnesses is still waiting for you to keep running because they can't see the finish until you finish. Number four, stay focused on the right motivation. Stay focused on the right motivation, the right cause, and the right goal. The right motivation, the right cause, and the right goal. And very simply, the reason I run is that people might see Jesus in me. That's why I run, period. So people would see who Jesus is, understand who he is, and maybe even receive him because of the way I'm working and the way I'm running. Number five, and it's got a few underneath it, so we need to move on. Number five, embrace training. Now you know already, already what the word is. Embrace training, which is embrace discipline. Embrace the training. God is committed to training you. He is committed to being, quote unquote, a personal trainer of transformation in your life. The God of the universe who has, quote unquote, drafted you into this game and venue that I do not deserve and you do not deserve, but the consequences are huge, has committed to not leave me the way I am, but to train me. Today, he is committed to training you. Today, he is committed to doing something in your life to train you to participate in his joy. Letter A, an immeasurable price has been paid to put you on the team. An immeasurable price has been paid to put you on the team. Look with me at verse seven. It is for discipline or it is for training that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there whom his father does not train? Whatever the perception is that you have of father figures or father, I'm just telling you right now, if it's negative, you need to just come to grips with it. And I'm going to say this harshly, okay? Because, and if you think I'm, I don't know what shoes you're walking in, you don't know my story, but we're not going to tell it. You're going to have to lay aside the way you have been treated and the way you think that that's how God might treat you 
And you're going to have to get your mind changed to understand that God cherishes you, drafted you, and is committed to training you for your good and for his glory. And even if your perception of your father is he's the greatest man that ever walked the earth, he's not nearly as committed to your excellence and your joy as your heavenly father is. He has put you on the team, committed himself to you, blood bought, as the old phrase would say, and will not let go and will not stop training. He's that coach that when you're laying on the ground and you want to wall around and say, this is all unfair, he may have to walk up and say, get up, you idiot. I mean, I, he may not use that word. Or he may, he may like nurture you for a minute and say, there's a race you've got to run. You've got to compete. But he paid an immeasurable price to put you on the team. Letter B, a non-negotiable commitment on the part of your trainer has been made for your benefit. Now, let me read these words again. Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who trained us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Quickly, before I read verse 10. Some of us may have to battle the fear of asking God to train us because we're still battling the idea that God's got a got you moment from me rather than the reality of what it is that he cherishes me, he's growing me, and he's doing something larger in me that's better for me than I can ever imagine. I think some of us still, from background sometimes, carry the idea that, man, I hope God doesn't around the corner go, well, that's because you did that five years ago. Bam-o, gotcha. And, and I, I think it's just, sometimes we gotta get that out. I mean, I, some of us have backgrounds, church backgrounds, where, where God is the, he's, he's a godly so to speak, I guess God would be godly. He's, he's, a, he's a great coach, but he still would, 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 would throw me to the ground by my helmet, so to speak. He's, he can be vicious. He can be vindictive. And we've got we to gotta get that idea out of our minds because it, this, this analogy that he's telling us of a father training his son is this heavenly father with a non-negotiable part, non-negotiable commitment for my benefit. So let me read verse 10 again. Earthly fathers trained us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But my heavenly father trains me for my good. Let that soak in. He trains me for my good. Now, I know we struggle in our day and time with people wanting the gospel to be all about them. But with all due respect, that phrase is all about you. He is training you for your good. He is training you, he is disciplining you, he is moving and working in your life for your good. Let that sink in. Let that push against and fight against what you think he's doing because you don't think you're good enough on the team and he drafted you and you were the last pick anyways. He is training me for my good. He is training us for our good. There's a bigger picture at stake and he is invested in this with the life of his son and he is training me for my good good, but it gets even better than that, that we may share his holiness. I know holiness carries with it a number of ideas and thoughts, and the reality is holiness is the expression of the perfection of the attributes of God. It is the expression of the perfection of the attributes of God. So he is training me so that I can share in the perfection of his joy, his peace, his love, his grace, his mercy, security, Identity, belonging, wonder, amazement, the perfection of all of these attributes that are all wrapped up in his character. He is training me to share in that joy. Remember, 
He is not training you for your misery. Nor is he training you so that, so that you can just fall. He is training you for your good, for our good, and because there's a larger thing going on that he has allowed you to be part of and he is committed to training you today. All we have to do is keep, and he says it a little bit later, I'm gonna go back to it here in just a minute. All we have to do is realize today where we gotta lay some things aside. You know what, that thought, I gotta take that thought captive. I gotta, I gotta memorize scripture and replace that thought. That sin that sometimes keeps creeping up on me, I've gotta lay that aside. This issue that comes up every once in a while, I've got to keep laying that aside. This small thing that I think might be insignificant, I've got to keep working on that and setting that aside because the small things end up being large and also realizing no neutral moments. So again, verse 10, fathers trained us for a short time. It seemed good to them, but he is training me for my good that I can share in his holiness. And then letter C, I just, I kind of, this one kind of resonates with me, I guess, but the whipping of your training, the whipping of your training will yield more joy than you might imagine and result in an attractive symphony. Now watch this, I'm gonna read it again because this, this thought this year has been amazing to me. Maybe I'm the only one that's been amazed by it, but the whipping of your training will yield more joy than you might imagine and it will result and an attractive symphony. So I'm going to use another sports analogy. One of my favorite receivers is Jerry Rice. Okay. I don't, you know, and, and if I ever use a sports analogy and you don't like the character of the athlete, would you just get over that? Because I don't, I'm more worried about what he does on the field. I don't care what he does with his life. So anyways, I just, when you watch that guy play the game and run and run routes, you know, you're just like, that's beautiful. And it's just, you know, just, shoo, shoo, just whoever your person is, you like to watch, okay? If you've got a favorite chess player, the way he moves those pieces, just whatever you do, okay? But whatever it is, or how someone hangs a picture or paints, that's an amazing way you do that. That's your thing. You just own it and love it, okay? But watch this. Let me read it again. The whipping of your training will yield more joy than you might imagine and result in an attractive symphony. Okay, so whipping, to be whipped is a part of the training. It's, it's when you come out of the training room and you go, you know, before you go in the training, you're, I don't want to work out, I don't want to work out, I don't want to work out, I don't want to work out. Then you come out and you're drenched in sweat. I'm so glad that whipped me because I feel better. I'm ready to compete again. Same thing. The Lord just says, come on, we got to get back in the training room again because there's something better I want you to experience. There's something more I want you to experience. My brother-in-law is a big hunter, um, and, and he's hunted all over the world. I, he told me one time, or I actually told him one time, I said, you know, I've been watching you for a long time. I've been married to your sister for 25 years now. I said this to him about five years ago. He was going to some foreign land to shoot some animal I've never heard of. And I said, you know the difference between a average hunter and a great hunter? He goes, what's that? He's from Mississippi. And... Um, um, He's a surgeon, but he still talks like that. And, and, and I said, money. He goes, hey, thank you, might be right. And I said, yeah, I'm exactly right. And um, so anyways, he was going hunting for some animal and uh, he'd been told he needed to be walking anywhere from five to six miles a day with a backpack on his back to get ready for this hunt, whatever it was for some creature you shoot in a mountain. And he, um, and he didn't. And so when he came home, because he did not get whipped into training, this is what he told me. He goes, Patrick, I swore if that guy would have shot me, I'd have let him because I wasn't going to make it off that mountain. I said, well, that's so sorry that uh, that happened. But anyways, so anyway, watch this. Watch this. They discipl- watch this. They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. 
but he disciplines us for our good. Now, that word right there is a word I've taught you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's the word that says, I am to be living my life in order to conduct a symphony so that others might see Christ. That's the same word. So watch this again. When, I, when I've told, in fact, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with me so you get my, your bearings with me and, and keep your place in Hebrews. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. I love this word. I, I don't know why this has hit me so hard this year, but I do love going to the symphony. I love listening to the symphony. It's really strange. Like my favorite symphony is when Metallica has the symphony with him. If you've ever seen that, it's amazing. But anyways, it's the best of both worlds. Bach and Metallica, you can't beat it. So anyways, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own symphony, but that of many. So I'm literally creating and orchestrating a symphony of my life so that when people listen to it, they go, whoa, stop and listen to that for just a minute. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrew or 12, Hebrews chapter 12. They disciplined us for a short time. They trained us as it seemed best to them. But my heavenly father is training me literally to create a symphony. I mean, he is, gentlemen, he is training you so that when people watch you run, they go, I've never seen anything like that since Jerry Rice. I mean, he is, he is working in you for your joy, for his glory, and he is training a symphony out of your life. And all he's asking us to do is keep fixing our eyes on Jesus. Look at verse two when it says, looking to Jesus, here's the reference here, here's what it means, okay? I'll give you a visual with my own face. This is what it means to look to Jesus in the Greek there. It means you have to keep focusing, Okay, you, you got to keep, it, it literally refers to sort of like spiritual ADD, okay? And so you've got to lay it aside. So I, gotta, I recognize what's holding me back. I lay it aside. It's getting in the way of the race. And by the way, and you can imagine it this way. I've got to keep looking at the goal line. And the goal line is where my savior stands. I got to keep looking at what he did. I got to keep remembering what he did. The encouragement about this is this. It's an encouragement to me. You're never going to set your eyes and never get off course again. As a matter of fact, you have to keep setting your eyes. You have to, you have to set the direction and then life is correction the whole time because he's training you for your joy for his glory, and for a symphony for others. And so as you're flying, so to speak, towards the goal line with my eyes focused, God is working a symphony that the crowd of the world is expected to see and go, I gotta listen to that for just a minute. I need to watch that for just a minute. Hang on just a minute, let me watch that. I was watching the NFL Combine the other day, and you watch these guys, and these athletes running these 40-yard dashes, and I'm like, oh, watch that guy run. Or you see somebody, you see somebody just, uh, I don't know, whatever it is, you, that guy shoots an arrow. Wow, that's great. Whatever. That guy paints. It's just whatever you do, just the amazing symphony. Here's my question. Are you allowing your king to orchestrate a symphony out of your life? And is it visible by the way you're going to work today? And if it wasn't visible by the way you worked yesterday, will you shed that and set your face, look to the foul pole and let him orchestrate a symphony today? Please disregard the guilt of what the enemy's trying to bombard you with saying, I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. If you know Christ is your savior, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And the word repentance, to use our athletic context, is to look at the foul pole, take a deep breath, turn away from what's hindering me, get back in the box, and get ready for the next pitch. Because the Lord is orchestrating grand slams every day. He's waiting for you to step up to the plate and swing, to embrace who you are, to embrace what he's doing. And if I might go back to the very beginning, and I'm not trying to create a dramatic story, but you have got to get it in your head. The heroes of the faith that you read about are gazing at each one of you, asking you to compete and telling you they are depending on you to compete. That's not a fairy tale. That's not a movie. That's not ancient mythology. That is the forebears of our faith saying, you are on the other side of the resurrection. Compete like you realize it because we're counting on you to finish this. Let's pray together. So God, I um, am, am each week reminded of the magnitude of what these men are about to do. And I really hope they understand it as well. Um, that they are beginning to grasp through the gift of Christ and this, my, our high priest who intercedes for us, that there is a great cloud of witnesses somehow and whatever it looks like waiting for each man in this room to compete. Not to compete so that he might gain, which might be the result in his work life, but to compete for something more. To compete in such a way by the way they deal with customers that there's a symphony being played that a customer even somehow has to stop and say, I haven't been treated like this before. That in his dealings in the boardroom and when they're making deals, so to speak, that there's a symphony in the way this man's character is on exhibit in negotiating. When he's working with a patient, that that patient is feeling a symphony by the touch of his hands and by the care of his voice the concern of his follow-up, whatever it might be. That he's out in the field and no one's there. And it's a blue sky or it's a brown sky blowing in. That he realizes that if nobody sees him this entire day, the way he started it, the way he lives it, and the way he finishes it still matters. Because you're molding in him in his isolation something you will use when you put him in front of people with the symphony of his life. Everything that these guys do, everything they represent, may they please understand, is a preaching role meant to change this world with no neutral moments, and that is not pastoral motivation, that is a biblical imperative. Would you please help them to remember the highest calling in life is not being a preacher, it is being called a child of the king, it is being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and it is submitting to your training so the symphony of our life causes a world to stop and say, I've never heard or seen anything so beautiful. Would you tell me what makes that so beautiful? May they preach well as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. Hopefully we'll see you next week.